Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Morning church. The first reading is taken from the book of Genesis chapter 22 verses 13 to 18. Genesis chapter 22, verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you both so much for reading from God's word for us. Now I wonder, according to you or your household, when does Christmas start? When does Christmas start? Is it the moment you first hear the sleigh bells on the radio? Is it the first glimpse of frosted windows in the shops? Is it the first time you see the local Christmas lights? Perhaps it's a bit further along, perhaps Christmas starts with 
twinkling children presenting their nativity plays, perhaps Christmas stars for you with the first carol service. I read this week about the, the writer Rodri Marsden. He has, for the last uh, 10 years, done an annual compilation of photos, hashtagged, do they know it's Christmas? And what he's charted with this is how every year young adults uh, return to the family home and they share their sleeping arrangements. And it's, the idea is basically, it's not Christmas until you're snuggled up uh, sleeping on the 20-something of December and there you are in a space full of boxes that you used to call your room and, you know, mum has given you a blow-up mattress and the map of the world duvet that you had when you were five and, <laughs> and so forth. If you're online, why don't you drop us, actually, a little note. When does Christmas start for you? When does Christmas start? Here's a random fact. Did you know, with all this talk about Christmas starting too early and so forth, did you know that in the Middle Ages, Advent was 40 days long, and it started on the 11th of November? I also noted that that was a period of rigorous fast, even by the laity. So I think probably it's not going to catch on in quite the same way uh, with that fact. But anyway, I digress. What about the actual Christmas story? Enough about our Christmases. What about the actual Christmas story? The birth of Christ. When did that story start? Uh, seriously, think about it for a moment for yourself. What is, what, how would you answer that question? If someone asked you to tell the Christmas story, where would you begin your narrative? Would you begin at the indoor? Would you begin at the announcement by the angel Gabriel? If you've joined us in reading Luke in Advent, or, or if you've caught this week's midweek memo on, on YouTube, you will have noticed that Luke starts further back than that with the parents of John the Baptist, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in fact, they get an enormous amount of airtime, pretty much equal with Mary and Joseph. But as you read on in Luke's gospel, and by the way, it's not too late to join us, do come and join us uh, uh, reading a chapter a day through Advent or come on a Zoom on a Thursday evening, 9 p.m. You can hear the chapters that week read. When you read Luke's gospel, you realize that the story stretches much further back. Now, why am I going on about this? How is this an actual question that is going to affect you and me? Well, here's the thing. I think we know Christmas. In fact, for most of us, there's probably no part of the Christian faith that we would feel more confident retelling. And yet, in a sense, we don't know it. Every year, it comes to us beautifully contained, boxed into a season that fades in and fades out into the new year. And the strange thing is about this time is that Christmas feels supremely relevant because it's the festival. But also, we, we may not really be clear what it means for us apart from the fact that we have to celebrate Christmas right now, and that's to do with Jesus' birth. Sometimes it's one of the hardest stories to relate to. And so today, to help us with that, I'd like to go back to see how it started. And having gone way back, I hope we're going to begin to see how the Christmas story actually is still going on right now. And in fact, it's still awaiting a glorious conclusion in the future. And seeing that, most importantly, 
I think we will have a new sense of how the Christmas story is, or at least can be, our story. The story of all whom we know and love too. So I've got three, three kind of perspectives I'd love to share with you. First of all, the Christmas story starts way back. Then the Christmas story is still being written. And finally, the Christmas story awaits a glorious finale. First, the Christmas story starts way back. When the angel had finished speaking to Mary, Elizabeth, her cousin, came and visited her. And she was inspired by the Holy Spirit and declared to Mary that she would give birth to her Lord. Mary was going to be the God-bearer. Now, in response to this, Mary burst out in song, we're told, this song which we call the Magnificat, the song of heartfelt praise. My soul glorifies the Lord, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And by the way, it's just an extraordinary song. If you don't know it well, or if it's been a little while since you returned to it, take some time this Advent to read it again. But one of the most extraordinary things about it is the breadth of Mary's horizon at that moment. Those of us who've been parents, those of us who've watched other people being parents, which is probably most of us in the room, know that when a baby is on the way, frankly, your horizons shrink. And let's be honest, at Christmas too, they do, don't they? They just close in. We're just thinking about us, and we've got so many plans to do, and turkey and roast and all the rest of it. Do you see what happens with Mary when she gets the news? Her horizon expands. You're going to have a baby. Expands. She thinks back. You get to the end of uh, the, the Magnificat, and she says in verse 54, He, God, has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So when Mary talks about God remembering his mercy to Abraham, she's thinking way back. She's probably talking about what's written in the first book of the Bible, Genesis 22, which we've just had read. I will surely bless you, says God to Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, your Abraham's offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The key words there. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Do you see how that fits together? With Christmas, God had said to Abraham, look, Abraham, I've got a plan to bless the world, all the nations on the earth, and I'm going to bring it about, that plan, through one of your offspring, your descendants. Now, that must have been an extraordinary moment to receive that promise. There is Abraham, who remember, in his day, he's just one wandering Aramean, cut loose, no fixed abode, no land. No internet to look up what particular nations the Lord might have had in mind. No time machine to travel forward and catch even a glimpse of the nations that have yet to be, but will be. Just a man with an only son whom he almost just lost. And God says, I've got a worldwide, history-wide plan of blessing to do through you. Well, by the time we get to Mary, since then, 
centuries have passed, and Abraham's descendants have waxed and waned. Their kingdom has risen and fallen and risen and fallen, and it's gone into exile. It's half been restored, and then it's come under the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians. And now in Mary's day, it's in the firm grip of the Roman Empire. Where have these promises gone? They weren't doing, apparently, a very great deal of blessing anyone at all. And they hadn't been for a while. And they weren't even really a blessing to themselves, let alone the nations. And now Mary gets this promise. She sees what's going on. And she realizes what's about to happen. She says, this is that. This birth in me, a Jewish girl, descendant of Abraham, This is the fulfillment of the promises of God to Abraham 2,000 years ago more. Here is God finally about to bring about his plan to bless everyone. And she's right. She's right. Her son Jesus, he's a Jew by birth, descendant of Abraham, will start blessing the nations. Very shortly, as his ministry begins, he's going to welcome, he's going to heal, he's going to teach not just his own people, but Samaritans and Romans, and Greeks. And then on the cross, he's going to offer the ultimate blessing. A perfect, eternal relationship with God to anyone who believes, just as God had said. And in that sense, Christmas started way back. Now, don't worry. um, I'm not burdening you for the next time someone talks to you about at Christmas. You can use your discretion whether you go all the way back. You have to probably ask how much time do you have before you actually start with Abraham. But it is worth remembering, isn't it? So much of our Christmas is in the build-up, isn't it? It's in decorating the tree and ordering the turkey and meetups at service stations to drop off the presents and so forth. Well, so much of the original Christmas is in the build-up. I wonder whether in this year's seasonal build-up, as you wash the sprouts or whatever your Christmas ritual is, whether you can let your mind go back to God's build-up. In the thick of your busyness, can you let your imagination go back over the years? Back way past all your Christmases, and I know some of you have seen quite a few of them. (laughs) Way past the stable and the manger even back to that unlikely, dusty, Middle Eastern day of promise with Abraham. That's the size of God's purposes. Can you fathom that? The Christmas story goes way back. But secondly, the Christmas story is still being written. It's still being written. I don't know whether you remember what part you played in your nativity play, whether you were one of those plucky Uh, six-year-olds who got the call up to be one of the holy family or uh, whether you actually had to content yourself with being star number 15 or whatever. If you're like me, you may not remember uh, the occasion. The only thing I can remember about my nativity was the moment that Adele Donaldson Logan forgot her lines. And I'm pretty sure she was playing the chicken, uh, which in this particular nativity I think had quite an important role. And the wonderful thing is she she didn't go out of character when she lost, when she forgot her lines. So she put herself on one foot like this and a leg out like this and just waited for the prompts to come. It was a, a glorious moment. Anyway, I digress. Have you considered, have you considered that in the original nativity, you also feature? We probably all have a part in the original nativity. 
listen, see if you can hear where you feature. Mary's words. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Have you ever thought what an extraordinary thing that is for a teenage girl to say? All generations from now on are going to be talking about me and how well this has turned out. Every generation from now. What a horizon. This girl sees far. But she's right, isn't she? Here we are, yet another generation ourselves, talking about the amazing thing that God did for Mary. And so it's going to continue with Christmas carol and nativity snow globes all the way from now until Christ returns. She's absolutely right. But that's not the only place that we feature in the Christmas story. See what she says next. She says, his mercy, God's mercy, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy extends to those who fear him. God's merciful. He's, he's compassionate, she's saying. She's, he's a forgiving God. But he's also a mighty one. He's a holy one. And those who receive that mercy, she says, are those who fear him. Now, what does she mean by that? She doesn't mean those people who are frightened of God, those who, those who, are, who are terrified, afraid. She means those who fear him, those who hold God in awe and wonder. Those who, when they look out the whole world, they, they say, this, this belongs to him. This is made for him. This depends on him. Those, ultimately, who just see him as he is, who see him as God. Anyone who does is someone who fears God. And that's Mary's testimony. Now, of course, that's her testimony for herself. But actually, she's not just thinking about herself. She says, God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She's thinking back. She knows it was true of Abraham. But actually, her words echo down the centuries as well. The generation after and the generation after. And today, in this generation, too, God's mercy extends to those who fear him. Now, perhaps there's someone here um, this morning, and you've never really heard about that. You've never really thought about the fact that God's mercy extends today, in this generation, to you. Perhaps you're burdened with wrongdoing and guilt. In fact, you don't, you're not quite sure how you ended up in church or connected with church because actually you come in here and you just feel guilty. Your circumstances may look very, very bad. They may look unusually bad. They may look sort of teenage virgin, not yet married, but pregnant, living in a backwater bad, or worse than that. And you might be to, tempted to think, oh, well, God's got it in for me. He's not interested in me. But Mary wants to say to you across the generations, across the years, God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, even now, to this generation too. It's for you. Perhaps, on the other hand, um, you know in your heart, you, you feel that you're not someone who does fear God. And actually, that's the rub for you when you hear those words. You think, I've, up to now, frankly, God has had precious little place in my thinking at all. I'm not someone who has. Well, do you see there's still an offer here for you? Will you come to him? Will you give him the rightful place in your life in this generation? 
If that's new for you, by the way, I would love to speak to you afterwards to speak to you more about that. The point is today, today is another opportunity to feature in the story of Christ's birth. And in that sense, the Christmas story is still being written. Today here, throughout the world, through the coming weeks this year and many years to come until Christ returns. And just before I go on from that, I really want to encourage you with that thought for the next couple of weeks. Um, please come and invite people to our Christmas services or, or invite them to watch them online. Now, I've been asking myself, who else? Who else of my friends, my family is going to come and take their place in this story this year? Come and join Abraham and Mary and every other heir of God's promises. It's, it's a wonderful moment to do it, to invite people at Christmas, isn't it? We've got all these wonderful carol services. We've got a contemporary carol service. If you've got a friend or, uh, or a relative who's more into something a bit more relaxed on the 12th in the evening, if you've got someone who prefers something more formal and traditional, 19th in the evening, we've got traditional carols by candlelight. We've got a great all-age family carols on the 19th in the morning. Come and bring a whole family. They want to come together. And then there are Christmas Eve services as well, Wonderful retelling um, of the nativity at 2 p.m., 4 p.m., and 5.30 p.m. Massive amounts of work. I, my eyes have popped out of my, my head this year, seeing how wonderful you guys do Christmas. Um, but we don't just want to have a bunch of people come through the door, although we, obviously we do. We long for the Christmas story to be written into the hearts of those who come. We, we want people to receive not just a seasonal glow, although they're very welcome to that, but the mercy of God glowing in their hearts, the compassion of the creator and judge himself because they've come to fear him. So the Christmas story is still being written. How will it be written amongst us this Christmas? But finally, uh, and much more briefly, the Christmas story awaits a glorious ending, a glorious finale. We know the story well, uh, I, I think, but when you step back from the Christmas story, there are just so many moments. I don't know about you. When I get to eternity, I want to sit Mary and Joseph down and say, now, about this, can you explain that to me? One of the things I'd love to ask Mary is, where did she get her information about the great cosmic reversal from? Do you notice what she says? Little Mary, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich empty away. Those are Mary's words. How did she work that out? Because as far as we can see in the story so far, what's happened? Two women have got pregnant. One of them, that was probably unlikely. The other one, it's kind of a bit complicated. Apart from that, the rulers are very much still on their thrones. And in fact, if anyone's going to get sent empty away, it's not the rich, but poor Mary and Joseph when they go to the inn. And actually, this Christmas, the story is not totally different either, is it? The rulers are very much on their thrones, threatening war on the borders of Europe. The hungry are intense along the north coast of France, and they're still hungry. And in our own lives, COVID again looms large. Perhaps we promised ourselves last year, oh, it's going to be different next year. And the rest of life hasn't stopped. Perhaps this Christmas for you is the first one without a loved one. For each of us, whatever the joys of Christmas, I'm sure there are shadows. Well, when Mary talks about this great cosmic reversal, I don't think she was talking about the past or even the present. She was talking about the future. 
is what theologians like to call the prophetic past tense. It's when you say you're so sure something is going to happen that you say it like it has already happened. But it's still to come. The Christmas story is still waiting for its future glorious ending. What God started in sending his son, God's going to complete. He's going to bring about a future salvation in which everything gets set right again. That's what she's talking about, isn't it? The high down, the low up. It's everything being set right. And there is so much we do not know about that future, and we cannot know. But we trust this, that the Lord will set all things right. For all that is not right right now, he will make it good. And this year, when perhaps for all of us, we're going to be even more aware of this is not it. I really want to encourage you, even in the moments of frustration that we might feel, or the moments of doubt or uncertainty or whatever it is, let's use those moments to help us look forward, to look forward to the wonderful, glorious finale that God promises so that each of us will be able to echo with Mary, looking back to Abraham. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Bye.